mom's hair. A girl could get lost in that. 639 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre this Memorial Day. And we're delighted to be joined by our friend Jim Roop. Jim, welcome to the program. How are you this Memorial Day? Um, very well. Thank you very much for having me. Well, uh, gosh, it's. Uh, I know you're talking about this um, business of Arnold Schwarzenegger and endorsing or not endorsing uh, Trump. But before we get to that, I it just occurred to me, I heard T-Ray refer to you as, as Jimmy the other day. And I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we use the right name. So uh, how do you feel uh, about Jimmy as an alternative to, to Jim, Rube? Well, my closest friends and family call me Jimmy, so... I'm I'm proud that she does, and and feel free to call me whatever you want. How about James? I mean, that's a little formal, I know, but you know, you're a newsman. Do you, would James Roop work? No, because that connotes anger. <laughs> <laughs> I got one. How about Jim Dog? There you go. Thank you, Rob. Thank. You. How about Jimbo? I like Jimbo. How about Jim Marino? <laughs> yeah, why not? Rooparoo. Remember Jimmy Carter? He eschewed formality. Yeah. He also eschewed peanuts too. Uh, he eschewed he, a lot of peanuts. He loved yeah. uh, the peanuts. There you go. Um, all right, fine. So I think we're going to stick with Jim. You know, just for uh, for for uh, this show, and then you know, future programs, whatever whatever you prefer is fine. Sounds good. Thank you, sir. So Arnie or Arnold or Arnold uh, is in the news. Uh, Jim Roop, uh, why why do people really care? I wonder about whether Arnold's uh, endorsing Donald Trump because isn't Arnold a little bit of uh, yesterday's news when it comes to politics? Well, he's a professor now of uh, of global policy at, at USC with his USC Schwarzenegger Institute that was founded in 2012. It's all about. Um, focusing on bipartisan solutions to local and global issues and problems. Also, post-partisan, you know, he's, this institute is all about trying to convince politicians to look past the party and hear what the people are saying rather than listening to what the party's telling them. Because as we know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, even though he says he's a Republican, always has been, mm-hmm. he has never always, or he hasn't always, I should say, agreed with the party and the party agree with him so uh... he sort of is in that same vein as donald trump although that's where he ends the comparison he was on meet the press over the weekend he was talking about a recent poll that came out of the u.s. schwarzenegger institute that the primary issue or the primary thing that came out of that poll was sixty nine percent of voters want both parties to come together yeah there was they were talking about education and and social security and all of that but he said that's the big issue. And when he was pressed on whether he was going to come out and actually endorse Donald Trump, he danced, Schwarzenegger danced around that question, saying right now he's just focused on the polls and what the people want, and he'll make his decision. He'll make an announcement before the primary on June 7th, and he'll do it, he says, in an unusual way. Yeah, you know, a lot of people were paying attention to this exchange he had. Let's listen to a, a little bit of what Arnold had to say. Do you plan on... Uh, publicly saying whether you'll be for Trump. I will make an announcement before the election. You can be sure of that. But I will do it my way, which is always an unusual way. <laughs> As you remember that I uh, you know, uh, announced my candidacy for governor on the Tonight Show. So that was very unusual. And I would do exactly the same thing also with uh, the endorsement. Jim Rupp, it strikes me that, that he really still likes to be in, involved in public policy. As you say, he's a professor of global initiative and so on. And yet, 
I, I, I have a feeling that his first love is probably to get back into, uh, into the action movies and, and just re- sort of reestablish himself a- as a film star. So it's kind of unusual that he's got his, uh, his one foot in each camp. It is, but I think people are interested in this because he did come out and support and even campaign for John Kasich. And when the talk came whether Donald Trump should or be advised or would uh, tap John Kasich, who said he would never run as Donald Trump's running mate, as his running mate, Arnold Schwarzenegger really kind of hem and hauled about that idea, too. He's also talking with Paul Ryan, which suggests that maybe something might be going on behind closed doors as we head closer and closer to the convention in Cleveland in July. So it's not about what happens here for the Republicans anymore in June or next week at the primary, but really what happens in Cleveland. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger, as as much of a Republican as he says he has been and always will be, uh, he's not coming out to endorse the presumptive uh, uh, nominee, so what does that mean? And, and I think we're going to find out probably uh, down the road here. He says he'll make an announcement before the primary, uh, but that's next week. So it'll be interesting to see what happens between now and then. But that's really why people are interested, because of his coming out for John Kasich early on in the campaign. We're talking with KBC contributor Jim Roop. Jim, I wonder what really his end game is, because, I mean, let's face it, he served as governor of California. He's not going to go back and do that again. He can't be president of the United States because I don't believe Austria was was one of the 50 states. So what's he, I mean, maybe he wants to run for the U.S. Senate. He seems like he wants to continue to be a player and uh, and hang in there with these, with as you say, Paul Ryan, John Kasich, uh, and now Trump. I mean, he's dealing with the guys at the very pinnacle of power in the Republican Party. Yeah, he really is. So that's uh, what, what his agenda might be, I don't know. You, he, you're right. He does love the action films. Uh, he considers himself still an action star. I mean, the Expendables uh, that were out a few years ago was out a few years ago. Uh, proves he can still kind of do it. The commercial he does for that video game yeah. uh, proves he still loves that stuff. But he's you know a little long in the tooth for all of that. So <laughs> the next <laughs> the next venture for him. I, I hope you don't run is- into him in the next couple of days. <laughs> Because uh, I know he's a listener. I know he's a KBC listener. You you could be in some <laughs> for some trouble. Well, yeah, I'm just being honest. Here, <laughs> yeah, you're not getting you're not getting your tickets, Jim. To Expendables 12 when it comes out, I can guarantee you that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, always gotten me in trouble. So let's uh, let's check in with Arnold here in terms of you know, people trying to compare him with Donald Trump. Many people have made some comparisons uh, of your candidacy in 2003 and Donald Trump's today. What similarities do you see, and what are the differences? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I don't really study that much of, uh, you know, what is the difference between Donald Trump and my candidacy. Well, let me just ask it straightforward. Are you ready to support Trump? Well, Chuck, as I said, uh, to me, the most important thing is now to talk about the latest poll numbers. Yep. Well, Arnold's uh, got his uh, finger on the, on the pulse and I so on. I think sentence structure, too, is as close between the two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, the guy is incredibly uh, focused and ambitious. Uh, Jim, I, uh, I I have a friend who uh, was in a social circle in the 1970s that included Arnold. They weren't pals, but you know he knew people who knew Arnold, and so they'd kind of intersect with each other occasionally. His impression was that this guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger at that time, was before he was Mr. Universe and so on, was the most focused, most ambitious, most disciplined guy. He had everything planned out. He had all these giant stacks of these uh, protein powders for muscle building in his Santa Monica apartment. He literally had lists 
sorts of goals. He would be he would marry a uh, a movie star. He would become a millionaire. He would become a movie star. He would become a politician. He had it all laid out, and the guy has accomplished essentially everything. So I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, he's got a book called Total Recall: My Unbelievably True Life Story. That is a very interesting read. If 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 you like Arnold Schwarzenegger or if you really want to get inside his head, he is exactly that. Very, very focused. Now, he's also, he was an outsider, as Donald Trump is an outsider, and how he made his way into all of that and, and got into politics and became the governor and how he brought both sides together, at least according to him anyway, and the things he was able to accomplish here in, uh, in this state can compare a little bit to at least the ambition of Donald Trump, although I think, I think they're... Um, their their end game is a little different. Uh, however, there is a lot of comparison there. And th- what you said about your friend's uh, impression of of Arnold Schwarzenegger and what's in his book uh, is is pretty close to accurate. So what he has to say about all of this matters to a lot of people, at least those who are higher up in the GOP. I'd love to find out if Trump would welcome the endorsement because Arnold Schwarzenegger, for all the accomplishments. In most people's opinion, especially Republicans, did a you-know-what poor job of running the state of California and also was considered a Republican and possibly even a conservative before he won the governorship. And, of course, he governed as anything but. So I wonder if Trump would really you know, want to be connected with that sort of, of history that uh, no, Schwarzenegger no, has. What's interesting about what you just said, Rob, is that usually when someone mentions – Donald Trump's name, he comes out with a comment or a tweet or something. And so after that exchange on Meet the Press, Donald Trump didn't say anything about whether he would or would not or could care less about uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or said something about how he governed more as a Democrat or a moderate it as a conservative Republican. You're absolutely right. So it's interesting that nothing came from the Trump camp after that exchange over the weekend on Meet the Press. Uh, Rob, I think the most important thing is that People still like those Terminator movies, okay? I mean, when you talk about whether, you know, folks liked his policies as governor, I mean, people don't even know what Donald Trump stands for. I mean, he's been talking about China and the wall and so on for months, and we still have absolutely no idea really what he stands for, what his principles are. I think people just want to change. They're really angry. Trump will give them that change. And so to the extent uh, somebody like Schwarzenegger might join the, the bandwagon, all right, so he screwed up as governor, you know. They, they, <laughs> what the heck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah the um, Jim, you, you know, you and I worked together in Vegas uh, several years ago on the O.J. Simpson uh, oh, uh, Josh, robbery I you trial. Had, like a stage act or something. Yeah, well, we did. It was it was Siegfried and Roy, and, and nobody uh, nobody came to see it. Draw. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I was wondering <laughs> if uh, if Jim, if you've been watching the O.J. Simpson uh, drama unfold. First, the FX film. Uh, it was 10 straight Tuesdays. Uh, oh, it was terrific, yeah, didn't you think? It, it was remarkable. I, I really loved watching it. And, and Jim, I'm, I'm curious, are you, are you one of the people who actually went to the theater and watched the seven-and-a-half-hour O.J. documentary movie that was just released uh, about two weeks ago? No, I, I, I was not one of the lucky ones who... <laughs> did that? No. Could have but taken a the- trash bag full of, full of popcorn and just uh, wild away the day. I would have been great, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, I thought that was a very interesting documentary, and, and covering that trial, uh, and then covering the the trial in Vegas too. I mean, you, we we got a real good sense of of who O.J. Simpson was. 
uh, not in his personal circles, but what we saw in both of those trials, all three trials, really, because we covered the civil trial with the Goldman. That's right. Um, it was, uh, it, it, I thought it was fairly accurate uh, with uh, everything that happened for sure in the courtroom, even the, even the increasing number of, 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 uh, of timepieces on Judge Ito's bench there uh, was pretty accurate. So it was interesting portrayal. Uh, I, I don't know. You know I, 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 wish, I wish I could recall more of what happened outside the courtroom during those days rather than what happened inside, but I thought it was well done. Well, O.J.'s hot again, and, uh, you know, the, the funny thing is the seven-and-a-half-hour movie that they released, they literally released it as a theatrical deal for Oscar consideration, as if anybody, well, I mean, I remember seeing Gone with the Wind years ago. You, know, you have to get up because there's an intermission and stretch. They probably had three or four intermissions, but basically it wasn't really designed to be a theatrical movie. It's ABC and ESPN teamed up, and I think at about two weeks, ABC is going to run the first installment, and then the next four installments are going to be on ESPN. So people are definitely going to have their fill uh, of, of O.J. Simpson. But I, I think, uh, you know, I was sort of inspired at, with all these O.J. movies to go back and refresh my memory with Marsha Clark's book. She wrote a memoir about a year and a half or two years after the trial. And boy, I had forgotten how angry she was about everybody. Spineless, clowns, dishonest. I mean, there was so much anger welling up in her after that trial. Um, she's competitive. I guess she doesn't like to lose. Uh, so it's a... Uh, well, I, she should have had somebody else prosecute the case then. Well, uh, you remember Bill Hodgman uh, was a more senior guy, and uh, he had heart issues, yeah. so he had to drop out at the last minute. So, uh, Well, she didn't really think he was strong enough to do it anyway. If you remember, she, she thought that she should be the lead prosecutor the whole way. <laughs> I didn't really like the fact that he even joined the team early on. That was, that was one of the disputes that came out of Garcetti's office early on in the trial. So uh, I, I, I don't know if they got into that in the uh, miniseries or not, but that was a big part of... Uh, of that uh, of that issue there, and, and she just thought she was thrown um, under the bus several times during that whole entire trial. Yep. All right, Jim Roop, thanks for sharing your thoughts. You have a great Memorial Day. Thank you. You too. Take care. 6.53 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. Five the time talk radio seven ninety K A B C a happy Memorial Day to you all Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre today Doug will return triumphantly tomorrow and I hope you uh, checked out his column in the Daily News yesterday on uh, the president's visit to Hiroshima really great job so uh, check it out Daily News Doug McIntyre. We are pleased to be joined by John Zogby he is president of Zogby Analytics John happy Memorial Day to you. And to you, too. Thanks. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on because uh, everybody's talking about the presidential race, and I have a feeling yes. you can uh, you can shed some light. I guess the, the first issue, of course, is California focus. Um, it seems to be tightening up. Uh, I think as recently as a few weeks ago, I was hearing you know, Hillary was, I don't know, up maybe 10, 12, 15 points over Bernie Sanders in the Golden State. But now it seems like it's a little closer. Yeah, the last couple of polls that have come out, and they're still a little old, too, but, but have it only a two-point race, 
We haven't seen any brand new polls, but I suspect we will this week the closer we get. And I also suspect, just given history and tradition, uh, that it's going to be a tight race between the left and the and the establishment. But Bernie is there um, uh, pretty much every day now, and Hillary will not be back until Monday, so that could be a factor. Right. You know, uh, you look at the electoral map, and, and the Democrats seem to, to draw a lot of comfort from that. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody was saying that if you track the last six presidential elections— and you mm-hmm. look at which states the Democrats win every single four-year uh, election. And you look at the states the Republicans win every time mm-hmm. in the last six elections. And if you extend those out and assume that basically history is going to repeat, it, it spells pretty good news for the Democrats, because I think the bottom line is Hillary needs maybe one or one and a half of the key swing states like Florida and Virginia and uh, Colorado and, and New Mexico and Ohio. Uh, in that sense, I mean, you think the Republicans, even apart from the, the unique challenges posed by Donald Trump, uh, are, are kind of uh, facing an uphill battle? Well, they are. You know, if, if, if history and, and tradition, you know, bear, bear anything on this. Um, but th- this is a year where not only anything can happen, anything already has happened. Uh, you know, so I mean, if you look at those last six elections, Democrats almost can count on 246 out of 270 electoral votes. The Republicans, 102. Um, the worst performer uh, uh, among Democratic candidates over the last six elections was John Kerry, and he got 257 in his defeat. Mm-hmm. And so, and then demographically. Uh, hard to win as, a, as an all-white party, which is, you know, the direction that the Republicans are going. And yet, Hillary Clinton appears to be a damaged candidate. You look at the polls, it's not only that it's tight, you know, between her and Donald Trump nationally and in a number of, of key states, but that she's only polling 41, 42, 43 percent, which, you know, someone who is where who's so well-known, where opinions are so well-formed, um, it, it's clear that, that folks may be just looking for an alternative to her. We're talking with John Zogby. He is president of Zogby Analytics. His Twitter handle is at the John Zogby. John, when you look at Donald Trump, is there anything that, that uh, suggests to you, based on the, the data that, that you review, is there anything that suggests that you can kind of throw the playbook out because he's reaching out to some Democrats and some independents who are embracing his message, however you want to define that message, uh, Trumpism, uh, such that you you really can't just uh, say, well, we're going to extend the past trends and, you know, too bad for the Republicans. Is there any reason for the Republicans to hope that that Trump has got some magic in terms of his uh, unique appeal? Well, oddly enough, I'm not one to normally, because I, I am an historian as well as a pollster, but I think you throw all the old playbooks out. You can't argue with success. He's broken pretty much uh, every single rule of engagement thus far. And even what I just said about um, Republicans winning as an all-white party, well, if millennials, you know, over 40% of whom are non-white, don't show up to vote, that could spell doom. That could be, uh, for the Democrats, that could be, 
you know, more a, a turnout model that's more like 2010, 2014, as opposed to uh, a presidential model, 2008, 2012, where you had high voter turnout among, among young voters. Millennials told the key, and, and I just want to quibble with what I heard your, your news brief right before we came on together. Uh, Gary Johnson can be a real factor here on the libertarian ticket, and I don't agree that he would hurt Donald Trump more. I think his special appeal may very well be with millennials, and Hillary Clinton or whoever the Democratic nominee is needs every millennial vote that they can get. Hey, John, uh, Rob Marinko here. i got to ask you, during the primaries, I, I realize technically we're still in the primaries, however, I heard a lot of pollsters and pundits alike talk about the Trump effect. People would be polled, and for whatever reason, they weren't really forthcoming about their support for Trump, for whatever reason. And so the numbers were kind of pushed down or compressed or whatever you want to call it, but they were inaccurate. As so many times we heard pundits talk about there's no way, there's no way that Trump has, has a, a road to the nomination or Trump's going to win this state or that state. So I'm curious, when you get to the general election, is there still a, or do, first of all, do you agree with the Trump effect, and do you think that's going to extend to the general election? I don't know so much about the, the people not admitting that they were, were voting for Donald Trump. I do think that a lot of people, much many more people these days than certainly 20 years ago, make up their minds, you know, at the, at the last minute. Mm -hmm. and so I think that could be one of the reasons why he did say better than the, the polls indicated. But, yeah, uh, look, I'm not one to say that he cannot win. Um, he most certainly can. And, and right now, through thick and thin, he's polling even with, uh, you know, the, the, the Democratic frontrunner. Um, loses to Bernie Sanders, but, you know, Bernie Sanders hasn't received the scrutiny uh, that he would as, as the frontrunner that, that, that Hillary Clinton has faced. No, no, no. Um, uh, history and, and tradition suggest this should be an easy Democratic victory, but history and tradition may very well have been thrown out the window. Um, it already has to some degree. We're talking with John Zogby of Zogby Analytics. On the other hand, the, the countervailing point there, John, in terms of history uh, as to the Democrats' ease is this would be a third term for the Democrats. And if you look mm -hmm. back to a presidential history in America through, say, the Eisenhower years in the 50s, Every single time a party has asked the American voters to give the same party the, the White House three times in a row, the answer has been no, except for George Bush following Ronald Reagan. So That's in right. that sense, you know, we've had eight years of Obama. It's the Republicans' turn if history is any guide. And so, I mean, do you think that, that tradition is, is really in jeopardy here? Uh, I don't. You know, look. To, to a great degree, when we, we consider that very important barometric reading, is the country headed in the right direction? You know, 26, 28 percent say, yes, that should be devastating. You know, on the flip side of that, though, the president is polling at around 50 percent. You know, it's not bragging rights, but it's at or around where Ronald Reagan was within a few points. Uh, uh, and a, a slightly growing economy and a GOP that gets the lowest ratings imaginable, even lower than, than after the Watergate crisis. And so, you know, voters need to see an alternative. Um, so it, 
again, I don't think uh, history is a guide here, and I don't think that, that voters automatically reject the incumbent unless they see something better coming along. Rob was mentioning the Trump effect, and you know, it's an interesting idea that a pollster would go to somebody and say, who do you want? And the guy's thinking, oh, I want Trump, but I, I don't want to be laughed at, so I'm going to lie, and I'm going to say I like somebody else. It, you, you'll remember, John, we had the Bradley effect here in California yep. in, in, in the 80s, where we had a black mayor of Los Angeles, Tom Bradley, go up against a white State uh, Attorney General uh, George Duke Majin, and the polls said Bradley's going to win. Bradley's going to win, mm-hmm. and then the pollsters told us later on, guess what? Folks uh, said they were going to vote for Bradley, but they really didn't plan on voting for a black man, and so they lied to the pollsters, and so Duke Majin won. Uh, how do pollsters somehow try to uh, figure out, sort of, be amateur polygraph machines, uh, figure out <laughs> w- what to what degree people might be fudging in their response in order to maintain more better accuracy of your polls well two quick answers i I think we put the bradley effect to rest in 2008 because you know it came up during the primaries against clinton and obama and uh and then in the in the general election um so that's number one but number two uh the the um uh if people are lying so massively um then uh it's it cancels each other out. Mm-hmm. That would become then a conspiracy that's so large that, man, I want to just get out of this country. Um, <laughs> when you're calling a 1,000 or 1,200 people randomly and you've got to factor in who's lying and who isn't, you just sort of figure, hey, liars vote, and it all comes out in the wash anyway. People on the GOP side are worried about this down-ballot issue if – Trump goes down in flames. It isn't just that we lose the White House, okay, four more years, but it also is going to drag down the the Congress. I mean, back in 2010, uh, it was a big Tea Party year, big comeback against Obama, big Republican win. As a result of that, most of the people standing for re-election in the Senate this year are Republicans, 24 of them versus uh, just 10 on the Democratic side. That seems to give a huge opportunity for the Democrats to take it back. And if Trump Trump does crash and burn, like the Hindenburg, then maybe the Republicans are looking at another 2,000 day. Do you see any strategy by the Republicans to try to avoid that? Uh, yeah. You know, you, you have a number of uh, uh, incumbent Democrats, both in the Senate and in the House, who are running in tough um, re-election bids in states that Obama won or districts where Obama did fairly well in, in the off-year elections who are not showing up to Cleveland, to the Republican National Convention. So that's certainly one part of the strategy, is to just pretend that Donald Trump doesn't exist. Um, the other thing is that Republicans have their own record now to, to defend, and it's a difficult one. They were elected to govern in 2014. They chose not to. Um, they're driving, they drove one Speaker of the House out. They're in the process of driving another one just bananas. And so I think that uh, uh, this should be, if history and tradition are any judge, this should be a good year for Democrats across the board, with the exception of the question mark uh, on the White House, where you just have a candidate who may be so damaged and so unable to reinvent herself that she really becomes an albatross. 
for now, herself. Now, you mentioned uh, the idea that the Republicans chose not to, to govern, and of course it created such a schism within the party. And I wonder how important public opinion polls were there, because my sense of it was that with the history of Newt Gingrich getting slammed for shutting down the government and being temperamental and he was cranky because, you know, Clinton made him enter Air Force One through the back door and all that, Republicans were so timid about challenging President Obama because they knew he had this club he was going to hit him with over the head with. If you don't go along with this budget element and that, I am going to... The the government's going to be shut down and you will get the blame. It seems like the Republicans were running scared because public opinion polls suggested, yeah, the folks would blame the GOP for a shutdown. Was that your sense? Uh, Yes. And they clearly did all three times that we got a shutdown and uh, other times uh, the brink of a shutdown. The polls were just absolutely clear that the Republicans were to blame, at least in terms of, of public opinion. And so they should be squeamish about it because it's backfired. It helped them lose in, in 2006 um, very badly. Um, and it helped them lose in 2012 uh, as well. You know, people uh, talk about the death of the GOP. I mean, they seriously you know, write articles about it, and they're fretting and so on, hand-wringing. When you look back over the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years, I mean, the Republicans, starting with the Great Depression and Herbert Hoover, they lost five straight elections. And, you know, you could pronounce them dead, but then, boom, they bounce back, and Dwight Eisenhower, you know, is super popular. I mean, you look at the Republican victories, um, you know, Nixon won, uh, I, I think, McGovern only won one state, and then a few years later, um, Mondale only won, I believe, one state against Ronald Reagan. I mean, talk about a crushing defeat, and yet they bounced back nicely with, with Bill Clinton and so on. Is there any reason to think that, that we're really talking about the permanent death of a major party, namely the, the GOP, given the uh, sort of the, the flexibility of the electorate and the ability to bounce back? Oh, I do, and I've written about it, R.I.P., G.O.P. I I mean, essentially what you have going on is not just a division within the party, but several splits, several factions who actually detest each other, ask, you know, who is the real conservative um, among uh, an electorate that is less and less conservative these days? So even before you get into the personalities that ran for president, you have deep divisions within the party that are, I, I think, irreconcilable. But secondly, the, the, the demographic time bomb that they face. Uh, millennials have no use for the GOP whatsoever. The only support that you see you know, of any substance among millennials toward the GOP is of the libertarian wing. Um, and that's just a small portion of, of the GOP. And so in many ways, and remember, millennials, as I said earlier, are over 40% non-white. And that portion that is non-white is actually growing. The younger the millennials are, um, they're 43% non-white. Then if you get into uh, the, the teens right now, you're seeing even a, a smaller inclination to think about, uh, to, to think in in traditional Republican ways. So I I really think that this is a a, a party that is on the verge of facing what what I call the federalist moment. Federalist party just 
ran out of steam uh, in the 18 teams. The, the party of, uh, of of Washington and uh, Adams and uh, and Hamilton. Well, interesting. Well, you know, I, I when when you talk about the the schism within the party, I think to myself, well. But, you know, a lot of parties have big tents. I mean, you think back to 1968 and the Democrats, you know, imploding. You got the hard hat union types hated the, the hippies. And, and yet they're both part of the, of the big Democrat coalition. And yet, as you say, with the demographic, demographic shift, I mean, that is such a sea change. I, I mean, do you think the solution is for the Republican Party to just sort of shift a little bit left or just make sure that the faces of the parties are more uh, people of color or, or what's the answer to you know disappearing out of the waves like the federalists well you, you know that would uh, you, you know what you what you just suggested would make sense and of course you know Wrights Priebus uh, right after the 2012 election did that famous autopsy of the party and, and suggested everything uh, that that you mentioned, except that they never implemented it. And right. not only did they not appeal to Latinos and to people of color, under Trump, they're going out of their way to further alienate uh, people of color in a country that is becoming increasingly uh, uh, half a country that's, that's people of color. But in addition to that, the party takes a very strong military stance. And the strong military stance, the American century, America, the policeman, that's so attuned to Americans, Americans who are over 65, who lived through World War II and, and, and the Cold War. Uh, but the post-Vietnam and then increasingly the post-Iraq and Afghanistan Americans uh, did not subscribe to that. And that includes millennials who... who are, are really in more and more ways global citizens and uh, uh, and are not great believers in America's alone superpowers. So it's hard to see how the Republicans make that appeal to, to people of color. Well, John Zogby, you have shown why you are president of Zogby Analytics. Uh, Twitter handle at the John Zogby. Thank you so much for sharing part of your uh, holiday today. This has been a, a fun chat. Hey, thank you. Happy holidays. Take care. 725 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Let's check the freeways with Bill Thomas. Time Talk Radio 790K ABC Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Memorial Day. We are going to be talking pot with Aaron Hertzberg, a lawyer with the uh, proposition to uh, legalize marijuana. And if you'd like to weigh in on that, 1 800 222 KBC, chat with Aaron. Before that, though, Randy Wang, I had a question for you. You reported about this guy in Cleveland at the ballgame uh, stacking up the beers. When I go you know, for a beer at Dodger Stadium, and I say, oh, I like eight dogs and, uh, you know, four nachos and 17 beers. They say no, and they, they cut me off, you know. They give me two. How did this guy stack up, what, 124 beers? And they always tell you uh, Rob can get his own, I think, is the other. 
<laughs> okay. well, you got to remember, this is Cleveland. You have to be drunk to watch the interview. That's true. The mistake by the lake. All right, I guess that's the explanation. All right, we are now joined by Aaron Hertzberg. He's a lawyer with Unrestrict Marijuana. He, uh, he's a founder of Reform LA. Aaron, happy Memorial Day to you. How you doing? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you for sharing your holiday with us. And um, I know you've been involved in getting the initiative on the ballot. I guess it's, uh, what, it's official, it's qualified. So in November, there will be on the California ballot uh, the opportunity for folks to vote, what, yes or no, on recreational use of marijuana? That's correct. Um, To be quite clear, I'm not actually involved with the Adult Use uh, Marijuana Act initiative, but I do support it. I'm uh, a member of the industry um, we have a uh, holding company that develops uh, medical marijuana licenses in California. Okay. Now, uh, what do you hear about the chances? Uh, I mean, a bunch of other states have said yes. Uh, uh, green light. Uh, I guess you could call it a green light. That's kind of a little joke, maybe. Um, <laughs> what do the polls say? Is it going to pass or no? Well, the, 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 the general polling uh, that I've heard about thus far appears in a 60% in favor uh, rate. Sounds like a landslide um, to me. Some, sounds pretty high to me. I mean, I think some of it, you know, uh, deter- is determined based on, you know, the demographics of the actual voters that make it out to vote. Uh, hopefully there'll be a, you know, a lot of younger voters that support this issue. Uh, but um, regardless of whether, you know, marijuana is... Uh, for adult use in California, the governor did sign a monumental bill last year uh, for a series of, uh, of legislation called MRSA, Medical Marijuana Regulation Safety Act, and, and that <clears throat> legislation really regulates the industry, similar to Colorado, Washington, or Oregon, and that's happening right now, and it's kind of the foundation for what's to come. So it's pretty important. Yeah, but, but of course, the initiative actually crosses the, the line from medical to recreational, right? I mean, can, can, describe for us what the initiative would do. I mean, I assume it isn't <coughs> just, you know, no holds barred. You can carry a bushel basket of marijuana around and sell it and buy it. Uh, what, what kind of restrictions would be in place if it does pass in November? Well, if the initiative passes, what it will allow is it will allow for municipalities to allow the licensing of adult use marijuana, meaning that just like in Colorado or in Oregon or in, or in, uh, uh, or, or, or in Washington, you can go into a marijuana dispensary in a city that allows for this, and you can purchase a small amount of, of personal use cannabis without a doctor's recommendation, which is required right now. However, in California, it's quite easy to get a doctor's recommendation, so you know, to some extent, um, it's exciting to have have this pass. Uh, but we have, uh, you know, we have one of the most liberal marijuana jurisdictions in the country. In any event, Aaron, so, uh, uh, pardon me, Royal. Uh, I realize you're a, you're an attorney, but do your clients often call you dude? No, you don't have to respond. That's 
I, I actually right. I don't have any clients other than our company, really? but the, the word dude does come up quite a lot. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> well, you were, you're talking about the cities, Aaron. So in other words, you're saying uh, if uh, fussy cities, in spite of the passage of this uh, initiative, let's assume it passes, they could still say, no, not in our backyard? That's right. Um, for sure, each city is entitled to make their own decision as to whether they want to allow medical marijuana facilities or adult use. Otherwise, you, you may have called it recreational. I prefer the word adult use. And each city is entitled to make that decision on their own. Los Angeles currently has a bit of a quagmire in that there's 130 shops that were granted limited immunity, but none of the shops were actually granted a license by the city. So the city either needs to pass a new law to be compliant with these new regulations for medical marijuana called MRSA and for UMA. Otherwise, there won't be a single licensed legal pot shop in Los Angeles between January 1st of 2018. All right, Aaron Hertzberg, uh, he is founder of Reform LA. Thanks for the update, and uh, we'll uh, carefully watch the progress in uh, November. You have a great Memorial Day. Thank you so much. All right, take yeah. care. Uh, no doubt he will. I think he will. He sounded like a happy guy. Early 740, start. 745. That sounded like a wake and baker. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talk Radio 790 KABC. 1-800-222-KABC. If you'd like to weigh in on that controversy, mm. Bill Thomas, how are things looking on the freeways? <laughs> 751 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, Inf. Doug McIntyre. Happy Memorial Day to you all. Just had uh, Aaron Hertzberg on, uh, the lawyer who's uh, one of the people behind the marijuana initiative that you're going to get to decide on come November here in California. Do you want to follow up on uh, Colorado and Washington? 1-800-222-KABC. Let's go to the phones. Jeff, you're on KBC. Welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Uh my name's Jeff Clark. I was one of the directors of the California Cannabis Hemp Initiative, and I'd like to talk to you about AUMA. AUMA, meaning the Adult Use of Marijuana Act? Sure, what's your take? Well, my take on this, sir, is, uh, well, we've got MMRSA that was written by Jerry Brown, and the only problem with this being enacted is it's unconstitutional because... Prop 215 is a plebiscite that was voted in by the people. And how can one man, a legislator that was voted in, change that law? A people's a plebiscite is the highest law of the land in California. And our governor seems to have written a law, MMRSA, that has been enacted, and part of the organizations are happening. And well, I mean, you're getting into a lot of alphabet soup here, but isn't the bottom line that uh, if you get enough signatures on the ballot uh, to put something on the ballot, uh, Californians can vote for recreational marijuana if they want? They're, they're calling it the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, but it's a ballot proposition, right? Yes, and it, according to the Attorney General's guidelines, it still hasn't uh, achieved all of its signatures yet. Okay, uh, well, let's assume it gets the signature. So in what sense is it unconstitutional? in the sense that it interlocks with MMRSA, which was written by Jerry Brown, and it takes away the rights of Prop 215. Prop 215 made it a right, a right for a medical patient to use and cultivate and transport medical marijuana. Jerry Brown's legislation in AUMA takes that away from the medical patients. It allows them to come in and search our houses at any given time and it allows the cities and counties to ban. And that's the opposite 
of Prop 215. Oh, interesting. Well, you know what will yeah. happen, I bet, Jeff, is that the court will strike down the part of the proposition that interferes with another law if it is unconstitutional. So you're just going to have the judges weigh in on that. Let's go to Dan in Santa Clarita. You're on KBC. Hey, Dan. Hey, Royal. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Uh, I, I know you. It's Rob, right? Rob's there? Yeah, Rob's here. All right. Okay. I wanted to ask you guys, what's your position, like, wholeheartedly on cannabis? Do you guys believe in it as a medicine or no? Oh, I think drugs should be legalized, Dan. I, I think uh, not just medical marijuana, but recreational. I mean, good grief. Okay. Talk about hypocrisy. Okay. Alcohol is legal, and, you know, it, it kills countless people. Uh, marijuana Basically, it's the same thing. People want to feel good, and yet it doesn't carry all the risks of, uh, of alcoholism and, and drunk driving and so on. So that's, that's my take. Rob's probably a more conservative guy. Well, listen, if, if, I could, if I could sit here with a fifth of scotch and put it in my coffee every five minutes, I, I, you know, I think that marijuana <laughs> should... No, I have no problem with, uh, with people smoking pot. It's fine, but it, it, the laws are enforced... If you take drunk driving or driving under the influence, of course, all the laws will apply to driving under the influence and so, everything else you're okay. not supposed so to Dan, do. So, Dan, you've polled us. What's your take? Yeah. Okay, I totally agree with those, definitely. I'm Right now, I had to smoke this morning because my stomach was hurting and my wife is driving down to the airport. Um, but I have ulcerative colitis, which is a gastrointestinal disease that causes intestinal bleeding and a lot of other terrible, awful things. I was basically on my deathbed at the age of 23, um, and I came across an edible called a Kiva bar, which is a chocolate bar, and it pretty much cured me over, or put me in remission overnight. I don't want to say cured because I still have the disease. Wow. Well, congratulations so, on that. I mean, and I think you're living proof that there's a lot of value to medical marijuana, and in November it uh, may be recreational I'll, I'll as drink, well. Don't drink to that. 755 at the time on KBC. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre and Terry Ray Elmer. It is the time. Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Memorial Day to you all. Talking about the medical marijuana and recreational marijuana controversy. It is a, a coming, folks. The uh, November ballot. Looks like it's going to have a proposition that will legalize recreational use of marijuana. Some people say, well, we're going to have an army of zombies traipsing around California, just like Colorado and Washington. And, and that's different how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not going to be able to, to tell, huh? Everyone who wants to get high is already getting high. Exactly. Well, so I guess we don't really need but the initiative, for this, but it's going to be there. For the initiative, the, the polling place will be open at 4 in the afternoon and close <laughs> at 2 a.m., so it's a little different. So if you want to weigh in, 1-800-222-KABC, 1-800-222-5222. Rob, we were talking about how the, some very entrepreneurial Girl Scouts jumped yes. on the medical marijuana bandwagon recently. Yeah. They set up their cookie table uh -huh. right outside the medical marijuana dispenser. I and love then, that. oh, the profits went through the roof. Uh huh. They were like uh, cookie sales girl of the year. I've so. got an attorney locally, uh, not you, Royal, but perhaps a, you know, a guest of Talk Radio 790 KBC that they could set up outside his office. And He had some fascinating insights. He really on did. The, it sounds like he. Uh, 
uh, he actually has this holding company where he sets up the dispensaries. Sounds like it could be uh, the, the way for the future. All I know is right now he's enjoying some Twinkies and Pringles for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> so 1-800-222-KBC if you'd like to weigh in. Hey, or if you'd like to win a pair of tickets, we have a major giveaway here. Rob, you're not eligible, but but just listen. 790-KBC welcomes Disney's The Little Mermaid, live in concert with orchestra, featuring the original voice of Ariel, Jody Benson, with orchestra performing live with the film Hollywood Bowl, June 6, plus Rebel Wilson, John Stamos, and an all-star cast. So, one hour from now, we will take the fourth caller, and you will win those tickets to the Hollywood Bowl, June 6. 1-800-222-KABC, an hour from now. Uh, boy, you've been talking this morning, uh, Rob, about this sad story about the uh, the gorilla. They had to shoot the gorilla. Yeah. Because it was, it was a little, it's like a four-year-old kid. Yeah, it was a little, I think he might have been three, a uh, little kid anyway. Uh, and the gorilla, he somehow got, the kid got through the, the fence somehow and got into the gorilla enclosure. And actually, I kind of agree with PETA on this one. I think that the zoo needs to take responsibility as well as the parents. What do you do and let your kid roam around? Yeah, how come near it's possible to tumble or fall into the gorilla uh, exactly, pit? Exactly. Exactly. You know? So I mean, maybe they don't want bars. Maybe they they figure that that takes away some of the uh yeah. the pizzazz some of barrier, the zoo. You can't you can't, you know. I mean, it was just some guy, I think this happened uh, within the last couple of years. Some guy I think uh, threw his wife into a tiger enclosure. Yikes. And uh, obviously there are problems in that marriage, but uh, the, the sad thing is they had to put down the gorilla with, with the little kid, and it's, it's, it's a tragedy all the way over. Thank goodness the kid wasn't seriously injured. You know what they need is faster-acting tranquilizer uh, darts. Because I, what I heard in the news is that you know, they, they would have wanted to tranquilize yeah. the poor gorilla, but they worried that it would take so long for it to take effect. By then, you know, he'd uh, kill the kid. Apparently he was... At one point, he was protecting the child, uh, and then another point, he kind of slams the kid against the wall. I mean, it's a girl, after all. Yeah, you know, his IQ is probably only 120, 125, so he doesn't know these things. <laughs> but, yeah, wasn't there another story recently involving a lion? Same kind of deal? Yeah, Somebody tumbles to, into the yeah, lion pit? Right. And there's a video on YouTube, go see it, where the woman's hat gets uh, close to the, the tiger's cage, and she jumps over a, a, that first fence to get near the lion to get her hat. Uh, you know, the, some I guess you, you can clear out the gene pool every now and then. Her IQ too, was even lower than the gorilla. Exactly, I think, right. Know. So here's a real controversy uh, you can weigh in on, Rob Marenko, in New York City. Uh, pregnant Would you quit telling me to weigh in, please? <laughs> All right. Pro, I'm speaking of weighing in, pregnant woman. Yes. You know, she she walks into a bar, uh-huh. and this is not a joke. Okay. You know. <laughs> uh, she walks into a bar yeah. and asks for a Clumsy. glass of Merlot. Right. And the bartender says. No, no, I'm sorry. You know, you're you're pregnant. Now, one awkward thing is, you know, what if she says to him, "I'm not pregnant, I'm not creep." Pregnant. Yeah. yeah, but you know, let's assume for our hypothetical here, she's she's really pregnant. Yep. Uh, a bunch of bartenders uh, tend to say, eh, "Sorry, I just don't think it's right." But New York City has passed a new law mm-hmm. prohibiting restaurants and bars <sighs> from refusing alcoholic Please. drink orders to Please. mothers to be. Yeah. There's no ev- there's no medical evidence that a glass of Merlot is going to hurt a pregnant woman or her unborn child. Sorry. Yeah, yeah there is a debate over, uh, I, I think doctors generally say, you know, if you're knocking down three and four glasses sure. yeah, uh, that, that, a, a yeah. day, it's bad for the but kid. But a glass of wine? It, but one glass a day uh, or one a week, I think doctor there's a split of opinion. Sure. Some doctors yeah. say it's just not worth the risk. In, in any event, 
Um, so the city is saying, you know, the, the, the restaurants and bars cannot say no to mom-to-be. And it's actually getting kind of political and sort of feminist, though, mm-hmm. because there's a, a commission on human rights in New York City. And they're saying using fetal safety as a pretext for discrimination reinforces traditional gender norms or stereotypes. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's the, the feminist yeah, angle. Yeah. Um, apparently 18 states have laws that say if you are pregnant and you take a drink, that's child abuse. Well, that's stupid. Well, this is eight. You've got yeah, to talk to the legislators in 18 legislators laws. In those yeah. states. So uh, a bunch of medical organizations have weighed in on this. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the Surgeon General's Office, they discourage any alcohol consumption. Yeah, well, here's the deal. You go start going down that road with the, the nanny state stuff, and, and, and the reality is that if you take all the medical science and, and all the statistics, a glass of wine to a pregnant mother is a lot less dangerous than having a pregnant woman drive in a motor vehicle on a freeway. Oh, Sorry, but yeah. I, I think the stats will back me up on that. Wow. So what are you going to prevent? Oh, now you're pregnant, you can't drive. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> New, <laughs> New York on. City also has some guidelines. Um, well, they say that bartenders are not supposed to serve uh, guests who are, quote, visibly intoxicated. So that's pretty yeah, universal. I get that. Sure. Bartenders aren't sure. supposed to do that. But here's the problem. Now with the law that says you can't say no to a pregnant woman, some bar owners are worrying that if a really uh, sloshed pregnant mom right. shows up and says, you know, I'd like <laughs> a glass of Merlot, he's worried that, you know, if he says no, he's going to get sued. So, or how about the other side of the argument? How about if he says yes, and the woman's lawyer comes back nine months later, said she had a birth-defected child, and she's attributing that to your alcohol that you serve the woman at this bar. You're right. It's the only you place she drunk. You can't drank. win. Yeah, but I mean, people are so paranoid and worried. I mean, sometimes with with justification about getting sued. It's like the airlines. You know, it started years ago. You can have a comfort animal. Some people genuinely couldn't get on an airplane without Fluffy next to them because of fear of you know when we take off. You know, they just go nuts. So we announced, okay, there's such a thing as a comfort animal, and you get a license, and you get a little vest, and there's uh, there's Fluffy. Take some comfort whiskey, okay? Do, do now, what the rest of us do. But you didn't like that. Well, now it's yes. gone, gone totally hog wild <laughs> to the point where you can have hogs. <laughs> you can have miniature. There was a miniature yeah. horse. Yeah. A miniature oh, horse was man. on the airplane. They couldn't say no because if they say no uh-huh. and you go to court against them, they're looking at half a million dollars and up in fines. So they air on the side of, okay, whatever you want. So they got the miniature horse on the airplane, and the horse and the guy do not fit back in coach. And so they have to put them both up into first class. Well, then you have the thing, if it's an Arabian horse and you say no, then it's a hate crime. Well, I hadn't heard of that. That's a good one. It could be a terrorist horse. The air marshal could just take them out. Right. Anyway, the the horse and the passenger are up in the... uh, in the uh, front part of the plane in first class, and the horse starts pooping everywhere. Oh, man. And so can you imagine if you spend some of your hard-earned money to be in first class, and there's Mr. Ed letting it fly. (laughs) (laughs) They probably should have had those adult diapers that the lady astronaut used a few years ago. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, put it it on on the horse. But, you know, I hear what you say, Rob, about, you know, the nanny state, and yet... I mean, we have seatbelt laws. Mm-hmm. We have child seat laws. So, right. you know, you're going to go to prison if, if you have your, your baby gotcha. in the seat and is, he or she isn't locked in the right way, facing the right way. And, and that seems like a good idea. I mean, we've got child 
labor laws. You got you know you've got mandatory medical treatment. I mean, if you've got a Christian Science couple and the kid has meningitis and the doctor says he will die without X medicine, and the the couple says no, thanks anyway, doc, we're going to pray. Uh, that's against the law. So if you're going to do all of that stuff. Uh, you know, I can see why pe- some people would say, you know, let's not let pregnant mom drink alcohol because, you know, the the kid's going to pay the price. There's good and bad laws, right? And this would this is one of those roads you go down where there is a tipping point. Everything's not black and white, right. sure, but some stuff really is, and that's the problem you're facing. You know, you get the how far should the government go in protecting you from yourself? And that's always been the question. Yep. So uh, there's, uh, we, we want to shift gears because uh, we, uh, we, the issue of transgender rights with respect to uh, bathrooms has just taken off. I mean, it kind of reminds you, I think, of the, the gay marriage issue. It has gotten such traction in such a quick uh, period of time. And, and mm. recently there was a little bit of a clash uh, between a, uh, a congressman, U.S. Representative Zoe Lofgren, uh, at, at a hearing over transgender rights, a clash with a University of California, uh, San Diego law professor uh, by the name of uh, Gail Harriet. And uh, we're going to hear it uh, first uh, first person here from uh, Professor Harriet to get her side of the story. Uh, welcome to KBC. How are you today? Hey, hello, Professor. How are you? Uh, I'm just great. Great, great. Well, I was uh, just setting up the uh, the chat by explaining that uh, there was a bit of a confrontation that you had with uh, Congressman uh, Zoe uh, Lofgren, uh, and uh, I guess the question is, uh, you know, how far are we going to go in terms of transgender rights and restrooms and so on? Uh, what was your take on this situation? Well, um, I was testifying before Congress back on Tuesday before the task, fa- task Force on Executive Overreach, and she accused me of being an ignorant bigot. Uh, which I found um, to be quite uncalled for. Um, She was concerned that I had said um, that, well, first of all, the background here, what I had been talking about was what the law um, says. The um, Education Amendments Act uh, of 1972 is what contained Title IX, um, that people are pretty familiar with. They mostly hear about it with regard to to, um, athletics. But in this case, the Department of Education has issued uh, a mandate to all schools all over the country saying that under Title IX, um, they must allow transgender students to use the restrooms, the showers, and the locker rooms um, of the sex um, that, they, that they aspire to be part of. Uh, now, these are uh, often intact anatomical males. Um, using um, girls' rooms, using the girls' shower, using the, the, the locker room. And I was there to testify that Title IX, which was passed in 1972, certainly did not intend uh, to authorize the Department of Education uh, to do that. Um, and as a result, uh, basically she called me um, an ignorant bigot. Um, I think what triggered her in saying that was that I said that just because you think you're part of a particular um, sex, that doesn't mean that you are. I told her, actually I didn't say this out loud, it was in my 20-page written testimony. Um, I said, if I believe that I'm a Russian princess, that doesn't make me a Russian princess. Now I want to point out that I said just before that um, that there is no reason in the world 
that any federal, state, or local government should be telling anyone that he or she needs to conform to the expectations of others regarding members of his or her sex. That's what freedom's all about. But the Department of Education wasn't telling people that they had the freedom to do this. They were saying that schools can be coerced uh, into assigning restroom, shower, um, and and um, locker room facilities on that basis. Gail, has there ever been an issue from the opposition? Uh, well, before I say opposition, for, let's say for those of uh, for those folks who think that transgender people or people identify with another sex than their anatomical parts, uh, those folks that uh, are, uh, you know, are, are pushing that agenda, is there any test? Has the, have they provided any test where you can determine how somebody feels? And I, in, in other words... Yeah, what, the, the Department of Education's mandate requires schools to basically take a student's word for right. it. Right. Um, which is very, very strange. You know, there have been cases already out there. There was one in Canada where someone um, who did not identify with the opposite sex but right. just wanted the opportunity to sleep in the area for, for um, homeless people that was, that was laid out for, for women. Right. He wanted to be in there with the women, and in fact he did attack a woman uh, and ended up being prosecuted. But he was taking advantage uh, of, of, of a rule just like this one, where if a person said, hey, I'm transgender, they get to sleep with members uh, of the anatomically opposite sex. Uh, and that's just presenting a danger to students. Bear in mind that this, this applies not just to bathrooms. It applies to locker rooms. Yes. It applies to showers. And if students go on, on an overnight trip, um, you know, very common for high school classes to visit Washington, D.C. in their senior year, it would include sleeping facilities for that um so that just makes no sense yeah. to me. But, you know um, there's there's i mean we make jokes it's it's a subject unfortunately it's a lot very serious to, to many people however if i'm feeling particularly pretty one day i i really don't think i'd be welcomed by the laker girls in their locker room no, and, and so maybe either. that's a you know, it's it's a bad example, perhaps. I agree that you wouldn't be welcome, Rob. <laughs> I know I wouldn't There's be no welcome. There's no question. We're but, talk- you know, <laughs> where, where does, the, where does it, the silliness end? We're talking with Gail Harriet. She's a law professor at the University of San Diego and member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Gail, what about the big lawsuit? I understand like a dozen states or, or, or so are, are not taking the line down. Yeah. They're saying, look, we're going to challenge the Obama administration's edict about uh, the transgender rights in terms of facilities. Uh, is, that, is that just starting to work its way through the court system? Yeah, that has just started. They're looking for a declaratory judgment, essentially, that they do not have to comply uh, with this mandate. Um, you know, they're looking um, at the same statute I was looking at and saying, look, uh, Title IX, um, it, it, it prohibits sex discrimination, not gender identity discrimination. Um, and they're hoping to get a court to agree with them. Um, you know, there are some, some tough um, issues here related to their ability to bring this lawsuit that have nothing to do with the merits of their case. So it's not a slam dunk, but quite a few states have joined in on this, um, and I'm I'm happy that they have. You know, the the overall theme of the hearing that I was testifying in, this wasn't on transgender issues. It was about executive overreach, about how agencies within the executive branch um, are, are issuing mandates um, that go way beyond what the legislation that they're supposed to be enforcing um, actually require. You know, 
basically out of control. The Office for Civil Rights at the Department of Education has quite a few of, of, of these, these mandates, um, and I don't believe they are authorized by the statute that they purport to be enforcing. Well, well, a couple of really hot-button issues that we've uh, people have gotten lathered up uh, about the uh, last several years in terms of executive orders and whether the Obama administration has overreached, and then when you add in something as, as emotional and controversial as the whole transgender deal, uh, it's going to be on our uh, radar screen for a while. Gail Harriet, thank you for sharing part of your holiday with us. Well, thank you. All right, take care. 824 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Our number, 1-800-222-5222. 9.30 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Hope your Memorial Day is off to a fabulous start. Rob Marenko, did, did I hear you uh, use the phrase... Fritz Fogg. Fritz Fogg. Yeah. Are you are you naming that after Fritz Coleman, our our guest of a few minutes ago? Uh, I th- I think I am. Interesting. I've never heard the phrase. Is that just a Rob Marinkoism, or uh, have you heard that around town? Right off the top of my head. Oh, interesting. You yeah. know, I thought it was fascinating the way you kind of tussled with with wow. Fritz. You, you, you know, know, don't you, that Fritz is a uh, an icon uh, among. Uh, California meteorologist. Yeah, no, uh, Fritz is very well respected. Now, I, now I you, you are, of course, yes. in your own right, uh-huh. a, a, an iconic Southern California newsman. But let's okay. face it, there's only one Fritz. So <laughs> yes. when you're down at the mall later today, people might spot you and say, oh, you took on Fritz. And it, I'm just saying it might de- cause your popularity you know to deteriorate. Not, I may not go you're out You're willing today. to take that chance? I, I, well, I could take the chance. Why not? So... Here uh, is there's going to be some Coleman clouds moving in later on. (laughs) I like that, too. So everybody's off work by and large today. But uh, tomorrow it's back to normal. However, there is a way to not go to work. Oh, Tuesday, Wednesday, excuses. The top excuses. They've done a study. And it's interesting. Some excuses work with bosses and some not so much. And I was kind of surprised to hear this. It's uh, they they sort of cluster them. The ones that bosses go for and say, Mm -hmm. okay, uh, he didn't have to show up. The flu back pain, or if you're injured in an accident. Oh. Yeah, so those are golden. You know, you don't want to go to work, I'm sure, because you have a good reason. So you call up and you tell the boss, I got the flu. Yeah, he didn't want you infecting everybody. Uh, back pain, you mm-hmm. know, nothing worse than uh, you know, trying to get some work done with, with excruciating lumbosacral uh, distress. Watch your language. <laughs> and then injury caused by accident. So, so those are the good ones. If you can call the boss from the back of a paramedic's wagon with the siren going, oh, that's yeah. really effective. Of course. You know, there could be sound effects involved. There could be, and sometimes there are. So those are the good ones. Now here we go to the middling batch. Yep. The ones that, mm, the bosses are yeah, okay sometimes. Stress and anxiety, the bosses are kind of okay with that. Now, that was surprising to me. I would think if you called up the boss and say, oh, hey, boss, yeah, I bought the job today. I'm a little anxious. I was thinking of taking the day off. Don't you think no. that, would, that wouldn't that would go over? I can't believe anyone would go for that. No, but according to this survey, 27% of bosses say, yeah, a little anxiety, that's, that's a good excuse. Uh, plus elective surgery. And depression. <laughs> you know, going back to well, the anxiety. Well, maybe you're depressed about having elective surgery. You could be depressed about that, but yeah. the anxiety one makes a little sense when you think about all the workplace violence. Oh, well, that's true. You don't want to invite but, somebody But you're only they're... talking about the post office, though, right? Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. That's where it comes from, well, going postal. Going postal, that's true. All right, so that's uh, these are the, those are the middling ones. You might be able to get away with it, stress, elective surgery, depression, mm-hmm. and anxiety. Yep. Now here we go to the unpopular <laughs> excuses. Okay. The boss... 
We're just warning you, fair warning, the boss is not going to go for this. The common cold. Yeah, what kind of worst cause another cold? I got a cold, boss. And that's just not going to go over. Yeah. But here's the shocker for me. Here's the one that is dead last on, on the list of favorite excuses by bosses. What's that? Migraine headaches. Oh, yeah. Who could expect somebody to work with a migraine? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a migraine sufferer, so I can't give you a personal testimony, but I for certainly talked to enough people. We all know someone Oh, with yeah. Sure. How do you expect people to show up? But it's dead last on the list. I mean, what kind of cold, heartless bosses wouldn't say, you got a migraine? Stay home today. I would call in if a guy next to me had a man bun. I would call in with, <laughs> with a migraine, and I don't even get him. I love it. So uh, a very scary story, Rob Marinko, yes. out of Thailand. Uh, a Thai man is recovering in a hospital oh, yeah. after a routine visit to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Became a descent into the jaws of hell when he was attacked by a snake. His name is Adaporn Boon Makoche. Well, now, congratulations. Adaporn, yes. I've heard the expression attaboy, yeah. but Adaporn, I no. might consider changing my name. <laughs> right. Adaporn. He's sitting on the toilet, and nine-foot python comes come up up through the plumbing, bit him on the male member, triggering an excruciating half-hour tug of war. Yeah, his name's going to be changed to No More Porn after he was bitten in the Johnson. Uh, his na- did you say Johnson on the right? I think I just did. Uh, his neighbor came to his aid with a rope and a knife, oh. but the victim said the ordeal only ended when the python momentarily lost strength, and the victim oh. managed to pry open its jaws. So the Python was just distracted uh, briefly. Well, there is an upside because it's it's well known that pythons only eat larger objects. So at least the guy can <laughs> oh, brag about sure. that. It's easy for you to make fun yeah. of Adaporn's situation. <laughs> Although it says here Adaporn was smiling as the Thai television stations interviewed him yeah. in his hospital bed about his intimate intrusion. Adaporn doctors... is insane. <laughs> smiling after no, he's in Thailand. Your... Uh, the doctor said he would recover, but photos of the blood-spattered bathroom <laughs> oh. were testimony to his oh, ordeal. The man. 38-year-old told Thai TV that he struggled to remove the snake for 30 minutes before what? managing to free himself with help from his wife and the neighbor. After the wife tied a rope around the snake, Adaporn <laughs> pried open its jaws oh, before finally passing out. Oh, I sense a miniseries here. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. Tied Emergen- a rope around it? Mm-hmm. Emergency workers dismantled the Asian-style squat toilet with the python still twined through it. The snake was taken away to be released back into the wild. Oh, sure, they shoot the gorilla and the lion, yeah. but they let the python go back to do it to somebody else. Well, the python's even more dangerous now because he's developed a taste for Johnson. Doctors said Adaporn, bloodied but unbowed, will recover. According to the physician, he had a really good attitude. Even though his own wife and kids were in shock, he's been smiling and giving interviews all day from his bed. Now that is a glasses-half-full kind of guy. Yeah, it's one tough dude. Oh, my goodness. That's exhausting just uh, talking about out of yeah. porn. 945 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Bill Thomas, how are things looking on the road?